Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everyone. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. I'm Connor, and as usual, I'm here with my inimitable co-host, Pete. And today, we also have a very special guest. He is Leslie Lee III, the host of Struggle Session, the wonderful pop culture podcast. And he is joining us to talk about Event Horizon, a movie from the late 90s with Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne. And without giving away too much, it's kind of a space horror uh, this crew in the not-too-distant future goes in search of a ship called the Event Horizon that was meant to travel to distant stars and went missing and has come back. And some things ensue. Um, yeah, Leslie, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, this was my idea to do Event Horizon. I know you guys have been doing a bunch of really smart, intellectual, uh, high-concept science fiction. I want to bring it down to realness, just the abject horror that is at the center of all of our existence that you cannot analyze, intellectualize away. So, yeah, I'm happy to uh, talk about it. <laughs> all right, we're getting heavy already, folks, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that that is dead on because if uh, if there've been any any things that people have said about me to change what I do here, I seriously try and go too deep into a lot of things that don't require it. So, uh I guess let's get started. Um as as we've talked about, I talk I talk and think a lot about like the structure of horror movies. And this one really messes with me because you know how there's like a set of rules to typical horror, like these two people end up getting killed because they have sex and this person's doing drugs, so they get killed. It's like it's like an old testament god or something. And all of those rules are just broken or ignored. And is that part of why you like it? Like what makes this movie work? Well, so I feel like Event Horizon, it's takes, you know, it's basically a, like kind of like a HP Lovecraft story with, you know, the Paul W.S. Anderson twist, which is, you know, lots of action, lots of blood, lots of guts. If anybody doesn't know Paul Anderson, W.S. Anderson, I feel is the superior Anderson. He's the director of all the Resident Evil movies, um, except for the second one. A lot of people will call him not a very good director or a hack. Those people are wrong. He is a genre filmmaker through and through. But with Event Horizon, he does some like really interesting stuff. Like you said, it's not a typical horror movie. It's not really predictable. Um, it's much more in the H.P. Lovecraft vein where like you everyone is punished just for existing for ba basically like you don't have um no one uh no one like has to earn you know their suffering you are born into this and just uh like the closest uh that someone gets to deserving it is probably weird and he gets it he deserves it because he is trying to 
push the boundaries of science. He's trying to learn more. He's trying to see more. He's trying to push humanity forward. And everyone knows whenever you do that in an HP Lovecraft story, you are driven uh, to death and or madness, not necessarily in that order. Um, And so, and he kind of sucks everyone else around him into it because this crew, you know, they don't want to be there. They're dr- they're forced to be there by their job. They're all the- this is just a working class crew who are forced to go out and encounter um, this alternate hell dimension, and a lot of them die with no real rhyme or reason. They just are unlucky enough to be born, basically. Well, that's that's a really interesting take. I especially liked. I love the Lovecraft stuff. We bring him up a fair amount, and I agree with that. I also love that you brought in the fact that it's a working class crew forced into this, which reminds us of. Alien, you know, one of my favorite movies, which we addressed very early on in this pod and probably have to go back to sometime. Great, great comparison there. Um, I want to ask you, though, just at a basic level, like when did you first see this and why did it become a movie that means so much to you? You know, so I don't remember necessarily the first time I saw it. I have a sense that it was probably a blockbuster video rental. I don't think I went to the movie theaters to see this. This came out in 97. I was a sophomore in high school. I don't think, I, I I remember seeing Blade in theaters. I remember seeing The Crow in theaters. I don't remember seeing Event Horizon in theaters. And I feel like if I had gone seen it, it would have been, you know, etched in my memory like those other two films that came out around the same time. So I think this was a VHS watch a little bit later, but I rem- as soon as I saw it, I remember just, you know, loving this movie and always being like, interested and entertained about this movie i feel the same way uh almost about this film as i do alien like it's a movie that i'll always come back to i'll always be rewatch um i'm always seeing references to it in other media i'm always it's always in the back of my mind whether i'm talking about something or writing something or trying to think of a story idea like it's always there for me because i think um it really captures like a smooth and a feel and a sense of horror in a way that's really tactile, really real. Like you feel like you could walk in the ship. You feel like this could be our future. It is not clean. It's not crisp. It's just, you know, industrial and rusty in a way that's still visually stunning and haunting. And there's just so many good um, visuals and images there. And that's the thing I most think about. And then aside from that, you do have a really good, like a kind of, cosmic horror story going on with all these visuals that keep you moving forward, keep you interested in the characters and whether they survive or not. It make you it makes you feel like deeply sorry for the characters, especially um Lawrence Fishburne's uh, Captain Miller, because he really gets a raw deal of it all and he doesn't really do anything to deserve it either. Oh, he earned it, man. Like if anyone should have lived through that film, it was him. Yeah, like he's a very like he's he doesn't take any shit, but he listens to his crew. He tries to help him when he sees his gone tits up. He doesn't try to like keep it together. He's like, no, we're getting the fuck out of here. Um, <laughs> like he he tr- he does almost everything right in this film, and he still he still has to sacrifice himself. Not just. He doesn't even sacrifice himself and he dies. He sacrifices himself to be tortured in a hell dimension. Yeah. Oh, that's bleak. So we, we think he ended yes. up in the hell dimension. Oh, Yikes. definitely. Yeah, guy. Definitely. <laughs> oh, so man. We didn't talk about this in advance, but I didn't know you were a, you were a Paul Anderson head. So they, I, I'm kind of excited about it. So 
like one of the things I know about this film is it ended up getting rushed out the door yes. uh, because Titanic was running late. And th- do you think that that changed the film? Cause I know the director was kind of pissed that that happened. What, what I, I could you speculate? Do, do you think yeah. there were things? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so there, there's a couple of things, right? So the rushing, I think um, sometimes a messy, you know, filmmaking can lead to great things. Uh, if anybody has read the production blogs of uh, The Thing, that shoot was um, very terrible for everybody involved. The movie sucked for the most part. Uh, uh, while they were shooting it, it didn't really f- come together until the reshoots and ended up being one of, if not the greatest um, horror film of all time. And so I, I have a sense that, you know, he, he's, he talks about how the first cut he turned in was just way too long, like way, way, way too long. And one thing I do enjoy about this film is it is pretty breezy. There's always something happening. It's always moving forward. There, there's, you know, there is a little bit of talky talky, but you're always seeing something interesting. You don't really, it doesn't really, the film doesn't really slow down. So he did say that the first cut he turned in was way too long and he kind of had to rush to fix it. What's the sad part? part is the really like tragic thing is and why he doesn't like talking about the film is that there were about 10 minutes that he cut not because of time but because they were too like violent and creepy and scary and there's you know a rumor that like audience members were puking so there's a scene (laughs) where where you see the uh, glimpses of some of these cut, this cut stuff um, when they're seeing the visions of like the murder orgy that happened to the crew, that scene was much longer in the original cut. And they were actually, when the film, you know, it, the film didn't really make any money at the box office, but when it came out on VHS, it was very popular. And so they were going to go back and do a director's cut turned out like the all the really hardcore horror footage that they cut out of it um was stored in a salt mine in Transylvania and was not preserved and was un you know salvageable and so it basically doesn't exist in a way that they can cut it back into the film so it's that front footage is permanently lost so there can never be a director's cut of Event Horizon Are you serious about the salt mine in Transylvania? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's lots of bizarre things happened um, with this film, <laughs> um, which ended up. I still think the film is pretty good, and you can see like very low quality and, and short clips of the cut version on YouTube, actually, um, just to get an idea. But man, I wish it would if they hadn't lost. It's it. like it got <laughs> sucked back across into the hell dimension. It's just it's too much for us. Yes. <laughs> um, I want to tease this out a little bit here because I had mostly heard good things about this film. And as you kind of pointed out, it became a cult hit once it came out on VHS. Um, to be frank, I have mixed feelings having finally watched it. Uh, and you're doing a great job defending it already. But, you know, this has a you know 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. It got really bad reviews at the time. Uh, you know, what do you think that critics are missing about this film and maybe this this entire type of film with Anderson like what's going on with the dissonance between the critical reception and, and how you and others do this movie oh well first of all I come from a generation where the critics didn't give you know top scores to any piece of crap um, that was put out in theaters with enough of a marketing <laughs> budget and the Disney logo on it so I feel pretty good <laughs> about the 27% if 
if I, if when I was, you know, younger and I saw that, I would be like, oh, this film is probably pretty good. It's a horror genre film that the critics don't like. And that's fine. I like, I, I, I'm not really, we talk about struggle session on the show all the time. It's like, we don't know what happened to film criticism where genre films and really like bad ones are getting like perfect scores, getting higher scores than the Godfather. I'm sorry. I do not believe that you know ant-man and wasp is better than the shining i just don't believe that even if rod tomato scores uh, suggest so i like there's so like a shift happened in the past you know 10 years of film culture where the critics just kind of gave up being critics and just kind of and just give these great scores to genre films that if they had come out in the nineties that the vendor rising did, they would all get crappy scores too. Like there's no way like a critic, if they saw Captain Marvel or black Panther in 1997 would think it was a good thing or praise it. They would like rip these films apart. If it came out then now they get like perfect scores. So I, I don't feel bad about, uh, critics like not liking this film because they're not supposed to like this film. This is not a film for critics. This is a film for sci-fi horror genre fans. Like critics are supposed to like like slow plotting movies about people dying of botulism or whatever. Like that's <laughs> that was the this that was the thing back then in the nineties. It's been forgotten now because Disney can bully all these critics into giving them good scores. But that's what that I I much prefer the back in the day thing when I knew if it a movie got a low score like all right yes this might be pretty cool that's i i like that can we talk about like the 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 architecture of the film industry for a moment do you think this movie could be made today because it does it's not big Abs- budget oh go ahead yeah oh absolutely not no film will ever look like this i mean just just the look of the film like the boots the boots that they have that you see in a couple of shots have more design and than is in like the entire like Black Panther costume, right? Like there's more, there was more thought put into their spacesuits than any ten Marvel superheroes. And you, when you look at the sets that Matt, the from the you know gyroscope, you know engine thing, like that just brilliant thing, the meat grinder that you have to go through to get there, like like the um where all the circuitry is, what the Sam Neil crawls through, like that green corridor, like you, you're just never gonna see like a low. Uh, a mid-budget film like this you can just look pick any uh, mid-budget sci-fi film on Netflix and it's just like mostly people talking in rooms and they might give you a CGI background but you're never gonna get like so much real cool big sets like this anymore it, it just will not happen I think that's a very I think that's a pretty good uh yeah, I agree. First of all, and I and I keep coming back to like when we reviewed Captain Marvel, uh, every scene in that movie looked like it was sprayed down with bleach before they filmed because it's just like the most sterile, generic. God, I hate that movie. But uh, <laughs> more thing about it, the more I hate it, honestly. But, I mean, you hate it a lot more than when we saw it. Yeah, I hate it more and more the more I think about it, honestly. But I, I want to, you know, getting back to this movie, like I I want to proud of that a little bit because I think that so my issue with this film, uh. I could see so many of the influences and I didn't necessarily like the way that it, what it did with the, those aesthetic influences. And I think the one that keeps coming back for me is 
Solaris, the original Solaris, the Tarkovsky one, um, which Pete has not seen. Leslie, have you seen that one, I assume? or No, no? I actually have not gotten uh, around to seeing oh, it yet. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm talking to myself, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I, was, I see a sequel to this. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, first of all, everyone should watch the Tarkovsky Solaris. Um, but it, it not, not to give away too much, but um, it's much more cryptic and retains its subtlety and is not a, really a horror movie. There's some suspense, but... One of the things that is lifted very much from Solaris in Event Horizon is sort of the the wife at the that one of the main characters feels guilty about sort of yeah. returning to him in sort of this deep space abyss. Um, anyway, not to go on too much about this. I guess like I, I what I loved about Solaris, for instance, was it was so subtle and understated and cryptic. And I thought that this movie, arguably, if it has if it has a major flaw, I think it kind of all its major flaws orbit around the fact that it really wants to over explain things a little bit. I mean, Leslie, I, I take it you probably disagree with that. I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts about that. I just think it's more like a straightforward like horror film. I think it's just more is is no you can't really compare it to Solaris or even something like The Shining, Baba Duke. Uh, it follows, uh, like, it's just, it's really not concerned with the subtlety of it. It just needs you to know that he's guilt, that he's haunted by his dead wife and it's his fault. Like, that's all you really need to know. It's not a meditation on like loss and grief and dealing with that. That's just like one of the plot points in it. I think it's much more concerned with mood, with visual and with, you know, scaring you and giving you this sense of of dread and this sense that there's something because he's he, he's not seeing his wife like yeah I, I don't know what the plot of so solaris is but it's like a evil entity manipulating him and others on the ship so i i don't really i i don't think that's what solaris is about i know there's a dead wife involved but it's really not trying to get at those same bigger themes is just trying to like scare you um for a quick 90 minutes and i think that those type of films are fine too that's a fair point so we have to view this as a well done arguably b horror movie by a great b horror guru is that a fair is that fair or i think that's pretty fair yes even though i think i think you know like when you call it like a b horror movie then What's a a horror movie then? Like I I I, I you know because there's not a ton of horror movies that I like much better than this. Like you know the thing, but is that I I feel like the thing is on a similar scale to it. And while I don't think Event Horizon is as good as the thing, I would put them maybe in the same class. Um, not quite, not nearly as good. The thing is certainly much better, but I still like. I wouldn't call this a B. Um, I would like a B would be like, I don't know. I know what you did last summer. Like it doesn't like a film that like, you know, might be scary is fun, but doesn't really have like any ideas about it. It doesn't really have that many interesting visuals, not like as well crafted as Event Horizon has. Like I would say a B horror movie would be something that uh, potentially like you and your buddies could film with a camera yourselves, right? Like that's what I would consider like a B level horror movie as opposed to Event Horizon, which as we probably discussed, looks better than any other horror film that will come out for the rest of humanity. <laughs> well, I want to let Pete get in here. I just wanted to say that Twitter has recently informed me that there is such a thing as a horror and it's called elevated horror. Oh, <laughs> oh I hate hope that. I, yeah, I, yeah, hope punk, <laughs> elevated horror. I hate the term so much. And I know 
Jordan Peele probably hates him more than anyone because the big problem he had with the reception to Get Out was that people didn't think it was a horror movie and he was he was pissed off about that. So calling him Elevate Horror, you're not doing him any favors by that. He hates it and he hates you. <laughs> And that's all we have for today. Now, um, I looking. Uh, I I was thinking we could we could come at Connor's question from a different angle to get some other information here. Like, let's say uh, Event Horizon was the first horror movie from this era that I saw, and I really liked it. And you wanted to to give me a primer on what else I should watch from that from that nineties period. What would you recommend to me? Oh, wow. That's a kind of a hard question, because when I think of the late nights, I think less of horror and more like action, like something like Blade is what's more. This, this is kind of why Event Horizon kind of stood out at the time, because it was this throwback to like Alien and the thing that was happening in a different moment, but did, but still really got the references really well and became influential in its own right with a lot of things that came after it like Pandorum, Riddick mm-hmm. um, Dead Space the video game series borrows heavily from Horizon. I'm not really sure what other horrors were coming out in uh, 97 that I would really compare this to because I, this was just before like oh Cube, Cube Cube would be a, a pretty good one. Nice I think, yeah I think Cube would be a pretty um direct comparison i think if you like event horizon you like cube that is more i think that's closer to like a b movie b movie because it is a much lower budget even though it what is budget it does some pretty good cool visuals and cool ideas um i think that's probably the horror film around the era that was the closest to it there are some there, the scream 2 was out by then but it's not really similar alien resurrection obviously there's some you know, simpatico between uh, the two of these films. Uh, but I think Event Horizon is probably the better alien movie that came out that year, ultimately. I was, um, I actually remember seeing this in the theater because somebody broke up with me in the middle of it. So I, I've got a clear memory. And the, t- <laughs> the two movies that were out, at, I know that's really pathetic, but like right around the same time, I remember what the marquee had was Mimic and Species. Hmm. I I I remember spe- liking Species. I've heard Mimic is good. I've only seen like half of it on Showtime. I've heard that's pretty good as well. That in both of those films, they're kind of like science city horror. They're much, they're like sci-fi horror in a sense, but they're like not taking place in the future. Mm-hmm. They're taking place kind of here on Earth. Um, I think Relic was another film like of a similar type. So the only things that were, I think the only things that were going on in space were this film and the Alien film. I do want to say the best horror film by far that came out in 1997 um, was uh, uh, Kiyoshi uh, Kurosawa's Cure, which if anybody, it's not science fiction, but if you want to see um, another perfect horror film, definitely watch uh, Cure by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. It is um, my a mind blowing Japanese horror film, probably the best Japanese horror film of all time, and one of the greatest films of all time. Oh, that's a ringing endorsement! Well, it, damn. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a lot of weight coming from you, man. I'm gonna check that out after this. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. It's on, it's on the Criterion Collection. That's how uh, good it is. You know, that's that stamp of approval. Um, and Devil's Advocate was out that year. Spawn. Like, I, I, I feel like you know, of this lot, I'm looking at 1997. 
it's fairly decent, but uh, Event Horizon, besides Cure, is the one that really uh, stands out for me as like a really good horror film of that era. Oh, and Perfect Blue, um, Satoshi Kon's, um is more is closer to like a police procedural slash thriller, but it's an anime um, horror film that is has some like stunning visuals. Awesome. Cool. Um, I just want to ask you kind of on that topic, since you started listing off other movies, like what are you, some of your other favorite sci-fi movies, books, video games, anything related to science fiction that you would recommend for us? You know, so the thing is, I'm a big Star Wars fan, but mostly of the uh, Timothy Zahn books, the uh, Thrawn trilogy, even though a lot of people don't really consider Star Wars science fiction. And I'm fine with that. Um, so that Star Wars is, you know, kind of my big thing, but mostly the expanded universe, Knights of the Old Republic, the video game, those video games. That's my favorite of the Star Wars stuff. I don't mess with the um, new Star Wars at all, really. As far as um, some other novels, I really, I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan. Love Philip K. Dick. He's probably my favorite writer next to um, Brace and Ellis. And my favorite book by him, probably A Scanner Darkly. I think um, that's a really phenomenal film about uh, a really fun, a film and novel. Both are pretty good a novel about, you know, the 60s, hippies, paranoia, Nixon, all that, all the all the uh, Philip K. drugs, all the Philip K. Dick classics. I'm a, I was talking to you a little bit earlier uh, before the show started about Jonathan Stakely's Armor, um, which is a another bug hunt novel like sound like starship troopers um but it's one of the most intense um books i've ever read it just really described the way he describes battles and fighting and what it's like to be this soldier who's constantly dropped into hell um for no rhyme or reason it just had me on the edge of my seat um throughout the uh, uh, novel so that is a really great like sci-fi action novel that i would recommend um, my f- favorite sci-fi films, I really am a big fan of The Thing um, and Alien. Alien and Blade Runner, probably my two, two of my top, top five uh, favorite movies of all time. Um, I'm big. I'm not a huge uh, fan of really of everything really Scott did, but those two films are pretty much perfect, um, in my opinion. I think Pete and I would probably agree with you. Alien is one of the first things we addressed on here in our first exclusive and we should probably go back to it sometime because it truly is for me similar to you like it's definitely a top 10 if not top 5 movie for me overall um and like what you're saying too like the the need to actually build all those sets uh like the HR Geiger sets and stuff that that is not happening now man <laughs> we could go on a huge tangent about that but like and I did like I did like Alien Covenant for what it was, and I think they tried to do something, but it's, they're just I, I I guess I I need to watch it again before I dive in and actually start comparing like oh they did this wrong they did that wrong, but it didn't really feel aside from um, when he turns uh, Nat- uh, Numi Rapace into like a Giger statue, it didn't really quite capture that same like feel of the original film like it it just felt like it all looked cool and fine but something was missing some um it didn't feel as tactile it didn't feel as real as those old uh sets did interesting um are we doing spoilers this time connor i think we do spoilers all the time i just don't want to check (laughs) 
We probably I mean, I did. Think we did earlier. Yeah, okay. So yeah. <laughs> well, screw it. Let's spoil the end. So at the end, we get a vision of the scientist as he was only seen by uh, by Fishburne, like with those those uh, diamond shaped scars all over his body, and yeah. it looks like a hallucination being had by the rescued. But it's showing something that they couldn't possibly have seen. So, like, my take on that was that hell's loose on the solar system. That's it. Is that how you read that scene? No, I read it as just like a jump scare. And he looks like that to make sense to the audience, um, not to make sense in the film. And that's the last time the audience saw him. He looked like that. And that's the pretty, you know, good, creepy version of him. That's a Cenobite version of uh, Weir. And, you know, that's that's pure Anderson. I read it. I actually tried to get ready for this a little bit. And I read an interview with Anderson where he basically was like, uh, I'm really not interested in giving people a message. Like, it's strictly about entertaining the audience in there. And I don't really give a shit about the lessons they take away. And yeah. you, what you said really sounds right to me. It's like I, I'm trying to draw a straight line where there isn't one. Yeah, like uh, I, I feel like with the discourse around like us in particular um, recently where everybody's trying to figure out what the film means and what this means and what this symbolism is, like sometimes they're just trying to scare you. And I'd actually kind of prefer that. I think the you know, what, uh, what they call it, the puzzle box, the magic box, the thing that J.J. Abrams does where people are, you know, spend years trying to figure out what the fuck he's doing. And it <laughs> turns out he doesn't really know. Yeah. Um, that mode of thinking about t- first TV and now film has kind of infected us. It's all about the fan theory and what this means and what that means. It's like it's not about the meaning necessarily for most of the time. But film, as John Carpenter f- says, film is about feelings, about people crying, laughing, screaming, fucking. That's what the <laughs> that's what movies are about. And yeah, there may be themes uh, there and I ide- and certainly ideas in great films, but it's not really necessarily about that and certainly not trying to pick them apart and piece together like what they're what the, what this means or what that means at least a good film is not really supposed to be about that it's supposed to drawing out an emotion from you and making you feel something and i think in that point he he's just thinking about okay so what's going to scare somebody um we're popping back up how should he look should he look like this look like that well the all yeah she's never seen it but you know the audience just saw him looking like this so we're gonna have him look like this and i feel like that's probably it well i i thought it was an interesting uh statement about like meaning versus feeling i i would almost i would agree uh in, in a way but almost go in a different direction and say that the problem with the the fan theory or the broader public discourse around these things now is actually that I think meaning itself gets elided by the need to make everything into an objective fact. People like they want to have some factual one-to-one correspondence between this thing they discovered in the movie and like, you know, it it becomes more um, about like what you can nail down as a firm presence. Can you classify it as a trope? Right. That's so much. So the discourse is. And so it's like, that's not, that's not really about meaning at all. That's really just about tech, you know, pinning butterflies inside your little box. Um, But I mean, similar, similar set of problems. I mean, kind of to segue from that, like to talk about kind of fan discourse and stuff, like why you, I I would circle back to something you said about Star Wars. Uh, You said you don't like the new Star Wars at all. No. And 
why is that exactly? Um, the films are mostly like awful or unnecessary and redundant. I, th- I think um, Rogue One, that's a fine movie, it, but it doesn't need to exist. The more interesting film was about like um, uh, Jane Erso and Saul, raising Saul, like doing the professional um, in the Star Wars universe without the um, pervy stuff. That would have been a much more interesting movie than like explaining to us exactly how we got the plans for the Death Star. Like the movie, Star- A New Hope is the film about how they got the plans for the Death Star. That's what the first Star Wars is about. Just like when it comes to Solo, like the original story of Han Solo is Star Wars a new hope? We didn't need another original story for him. And as you, if you watch the film, you see the problem with this is about the, like throughout the movie and, you know, by the end, like he's nothing but a good guy the whole time. So when you meet him in the new hope, it doesn't make sense that he's a scoundrel and a scumbag who has to go on a, a journey to become a better person because he's already a great person. In fact, in Solo, he helps found the rebellion. So it, it, that that movie is just, it, that movie was both redundant and bad. And I've talked a lot about, you know, The Last Jedi and how bad it is. I don't want, you know, to be mobbed and harassed by a bunch of people who look exactly like Ryan Johnson, which all his fins, all his, all of Ryan Johnson's defenders online look exactly like (laughs) Ryan Johnson. And they think they are so woke for liking a film that happens to star a woman that they will yell and scream at you about how terrible you are for not liking that film because they have built their identity around the fact that liking a Star Wars movie makes them like woke uh, uh, anti-racist feminists and like you need to do a little bit more than like uh, Star Wars fellas yeah that's that's a fair statement wow (laughs) yeah well there are a lot of statements in there and um, one thing I will say is that your take on Solo turned me around I watched it I didn't like it and I'm like well I, there's a lot of films I don't like the first time. I'm going to watch it again. I'm not going to watch <laughs> the damn thing again. I totally agree. Yeah, no, like that movie, and I try, I'll go in all these films, like, you know, willing to like them, willing to enjoy them, especially Solo, because the, I, I mean, I love Donald Glover, so I was really excited to see him, but the movie is just like this unnecessary slog and the fact that they filmed it twice it took them two times just to put out that is really really sad (laughs) um to be i I asked this question of uh matt chrisman who's also uh not not a poptimist to be sure and uh i'm gonna ask it to of you which is that of of things that are broadly can really be anything honestly i'm just curious what about what you like that's out there now but especially things that are sci-fi inflected which we take a broad definition of that like we reviewed captain marvel we reviewed us because it's speculative fiction and then of course there's things that are more precisely sci-fi in recent years like ex machina or annihilation um anything that could broadly fall under the aegis of sci-fi the last few years that's come out that you liked um so i get uh, one cheat would be saying aquaman I actually really enjoyed Aquaman. I thought it was the best Star Wars movie since Return of the Sith, possibly Empire Strikes Back. I thought I really enjoyed Aquaman. It was a, you know, yes, of course, there's too much CGI, but what can you do? Um, At least it looked cool and was in the service of like these massive sea battles um, that seemed to mean something. So I enjoyed that as far as like, you know, a real, real sci-fi movie that I really enjoyed. Like it's been a a minute, probably the last 
one I can really think of off the top of my head really enjoying was The Machine, The Machine, which came out a couple of years before Ex Machina, which did the exact same story, just a lot better, but received no hype and no one watched it, unfortunately. It looked cooler. It felt cooler. It was better. Um, I don't know why people went wild for, didn't go wild for it, because and but did get wild for Ex Machina, which I didn't really like that much, ultimately. Huh. Pete, have you seen that one? Because I have not. I have not either. Uh, one of the things I'm going to do when we get an edited version of this is re-listen to this and write down a bunch of crap. Because there's movies I need to see, there's books I need to check out, and I'm here for it. Yeah, The Machine, I, I really enjoyed it. Like it's another, It is a B-level genre movie, but it does a lot with the same story in Ex Machina, I just didn't get the hype. Has cooler fight scenes, cool everything, more nudity. It's all it's cool. It's a cool genre film. Sex and violence and high concept science fiction uh, stuff. Um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Again, I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the visuals. Doesn't need to exist. Um, but uh, as as far as like big releases, that's probably the the best sci fi movie of the past few years as far as like big budget ones that i've seen blade runner 2049 but unfortunately we live in this era where like it had to be a sequel and so and ultimately it's not as good as the original and it doesn't really add anything to the original it kind of takes away um when you keep it kind of makes the, the blade runner 2049 is a much worse movie for being a sequel to blade runner you know um, what i don't understand about that one why didn't they put it out this year because blade runner takes place in november <laughs> 2019 it will it would make sense it would be a nice um synergy uh going on but i guess they couldn't wait yeah fair well they had to make money that's um oh go ahead sorry go ahead <laughs> oh well oh, and they probably couldn't have kept uh, harrison ford waiting around uh, <laughs> that's probably true uh usually around this time i do a book recommendation is it okay if i do that with you Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, honestly, uh, I walked in with one book and I've come up with another. So I'm just going to say them both and we'll see what happens. So I walked in with John Varley's Steel Beach, which is uh, it's 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 one of his best books. And it's about it's basically about a reporter in the society who slowly pieces together that the the computer keeping everything running and keeping everybody alive is slowly going mad. Oh, See, I, I like that because I'm actually writing this short story about um, a computer who's running everything in the community and has already gone mad and people are living um, under it. So, yeah, that sounds cool. Awesome. Uh, the other one was Thomas Deesh, and he wrote a book called The Genocides, which is basically like an alien race seeds the planet with plants that kills everybody. That's it. That's the whole story. That sounds really cool. That sounds really <laughs> it's like cool. annihilation, but with the balls to actually do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it yeah. goes all the way, man. Oh, I, I like that. Um, I do want to comment. on. I feel like I have to comment on annihilation. Like, folks, it was okay. It was just okay. I see a lot of people trying to rehabilitate the image of Annihilation as if it was some great, timeless sci-fi classic. It's a fine monster movie with a with not enough monsters, and and that's it. It's fine. Yeah, I felt the same way. I mean, I, I, wanted to I, I really enjoyed it, but and I, I like Alex Garland probably more than you do in general. But um, I like yeah. him a lot actually. But yeah, it was. I, I struggled with this because you know I hate to, to mention my projects every single time, but like. Literally, I was 
my novel is being pitched this spring, and one of the co- comparisons that we're using, actually the major comparison that we're using, is Annihilation, uh, <laughs> which is interesting because what I'm doing is not weird fiction. It's not really suspenseful or horror at all. It's more that it's about uh, it's a man writing a female protagonist who goes into like a special zone and has adventures. So that's probably more like. And of course, Annihilation did great crossing over from sci-fi into literature and literary fiction world. So if you're marketing, that's that's a good thing to like peg yourself to. But like I, I say this all, all just because like, of course, I'm inclined to like it. But um, at the same time, I, I think I share some of your criticism in that you said to me on Twitter, it didn't have that much to say. And to a certain extent, I hope Jeff, Jeff Vandermeer, if you're listening to this, turn this off. Uh, I kind of agree. So, <laughs> <laughs> my only real criticism is that movie needed about seven more minutes of that bear. Yeah, yeah, it needed more. It need more monsters. Like the monsters from the book would have been cool because some of them are. Well, I guess the sequels because they have like really like giant um, monsters uh, in the some of the sequels. But still, I I went to, I got through all the books and I'm like, okay, this is a good concept ultimately but like i didn't really feel anything by the end it could have been weirder it could have been shorter like there's one image at the end of the second the second novel like everybody hates i was fine with it because i kind of enjoyed the journey of the protagonist but when you get to the end like the payoff is really cool but it's one page it's one page out of this yeah novel of one page of the novel is horror basically and um, unfortunately and you know that's just that's just too slow a burn and like it, it like if I feel like this could have been like a series of short stories more than three novels. I I agree with that. And the thing, Vandermeer, I love Vandermeer. I love what he's done with like collections of short stories, and I like a lot of his writing. I don't think this was the book to do. Like I'd have done Finch. I'd have done uh, you know, the one with the huge bear. Uh, I don't know what Warren, it is with Warren me and his bear movie, actually. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, but I just I I feel like this one was a walk in the woods with with uh, a little body horror. Yep, and very little. Um, like I think both the film and the book kind of left me cold. It, it just I, I mean I'm I'm glad that people are reacting to it, but I hope they dive in and see like the color out of space. Just read the color out of space if you and you'll probably get like a lot you'll get so much more out of it than you will either the film or reading all three of those books. That is a connection I didn't draw and I feel dumb for not drawing it. That is dead on, man. I didn't either, but that that's <laughs> you're totally right. And uh I respect anyone who goes to Lovecraft like that. Yeah. Yeah, they're but they're going to do a color out of space movie, and everybody's going to say that wow, they're ripping off. <laughs> oh. You're totally right. Oh man. Um, so I, I, I guess uh, what I'm gathering from this and from listening to your pod and just in general, it seems like so Pete and I. I shouldn't speak for Pete. I, I, I'm probably more optimistic just generally. I wouldn't say quite optimistic. But I tend to be more optimistic than all people in our Twitter circles just about things in general, including culture. And uh, it sounds like you're pretty pessimistic about the prospects of science fiction in mass culture, at least on the screen, of the prospects of science fiction to really fulfill its promise uh, in our current era. Is that is that a fair statement or am I putting words in your mouth? Oh, that's a very fair statement. Like, I, film is dead. Um, I think if you watch the Oscars, you know that in your heart of hearts, even if you don't want to admit it. I mean, uh, some of the films that were nominated, like how 
we mentioned the critics earlier, like as, as, you know, fun and nice as, you know, films like us are, you know, it's so few and so far between even uh, pet cemetery. I hear is good. We should be getting like 15 of those movies every year. Like all, if you've noticed, like all the films that are really highly praised and called, you know, amazing groundbreaking, et cetera, et cetera. They basically feel as good as like every movie with a decent budget should feel right. Like that's, that's what we say on the show a lot. It's like, whenever we do enjoy like a really popular movie it's like, okay, that's pretty good. But like every movie, considering how much they spend on the few that they make now should be like this good. Like we should have more us's and more, you know, pet cemeteries or, or more, um, just more films that actually are more Aquamans. Like there's no reason why like every superhero film couldn't be as enjoyable as Aquaman other than the fact that the way they make movies now uh, for the most part doesn't real, really allow for it. Even if they're spending just as much money, they still like put so little focus on, you know, uh, stunning you with visuals and making you feel like you're watching a movie. So often when you're watching movies, it just feels like a TV show. And that's the thing that uh, drives me crazy. But that's what, you know, one of the things I love about Event Horizon is even though it's, you know, not a massive uh, budget, nothing about this feels like there's no scene in this film that I could even imagine like being on a TV show. There's just too much going on. There's too much thought put into everything. There, it looks too cool to be TV. And I think that's a standard that like all films should live up to. That's a ringing endorsement. And you've kind of persuaded me. I like this movie now more now than when we started. And it's probably a pretty good place for us to leave it. Unless Pete has something you'd like to add. Uh, one final thing. Uh, I, uh, Connor, you had an uh, implied question there. I'm right in between the two of you. Um, I think that film is bad. The arts are bad and getting worse. And the reason it's bad is because we're all sitting on our asses. It's like it's our job to fight for the good stuff and watch the good stuff and buy the good stuff and don't pay out for the bad stuff. It's a choice we're making. Oh, that's a rousing call to arms. Uh Hey, but you yes. know what? We're all, I have we're all podcasters, <laughs> so we're doing our part. We're not sitting on our asses, right, Pete? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Podcasters are braver than the troops. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, and Leslie, that's a place to end <laughs> Thank it. you so much for coming on, Leslie. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I just want to plug for any of your listeners who are in New York. We have just announced and put up the ticket link for the second Struggle Session Live show in New York, in Brooklyn. We're doing the show with Katie Halper with the, of the Katie Halper Show. Our guests are going to be Matt Taibbi of Rolling Stone, Jamie Peck of Majority Report, and Jake Flores of Pod Damn America. It's going to be a fun show. It's only $10. Get your tickets now. When is it? Uh, May the 10th. May the 10th. 10th. Okay, folks. Uh, I'm going to try to be there if I can make it. And you should too if you're in the New York area. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Leslie. All right. Thank you. Peace. Take care. <laughs>